Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, after the shot, then what? What is it going to take for life to feel more like normal, and when may that happen? Also this morning, there's been plenty in the past year to upset your children's sense of safety and security. How parents can reassure their kids about big scary things in the news without keeping them in a bubble forever. In our everyday agriculture segment this morning, after the initial disruption triggered by COVID-19 in the food industry, will there be a lasting impact to the way your local grocery store operates? And why your spring cleaning routine should start with your beauty cabinet and what you need for a warm weather refresh. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. WFIM News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for partly cloudy skies today, a high of 69, mostly cloudy tonight with a low of 56. Ohio surpassed 1 million cases of COVID-19 yesterday. Health officials say more than 18,300 Ohioans have died due to the complications of the virus. In a related story, the governor has announced that vaccine providers who are not able to fill appointments for Ohioans currently eligible for the shot may offer appointments to anyone 16 and older. Ohioans between 16 and 39 years old are scheduled to become eligible Monday for the vaccine. Governor DeWine said health officials, particularly in the rural parts of the state, are sometimes having difficulty filling appointments and, quote, what we don't want is any slots not filled, end quote. Daniel Barnett. ONN News. AEP Ohio is warning some of its customers about a scam. AEP says some people in the Tiffin area have received an email stating there is an outage scheduled for the area. AEP says the email is not from them and they do not have any outages planned for the area. Customers should not click on any link within that email. Get more on the scam on our website. The Ohio Department of Transportation has produced a public service announcement in an effort to stop litter at its source. Dear Ohio. Dear Ohio. Dear Ohio. Yeah, we see it. And we know you see it too. It's sad to think that people think it's okay to leave trash along our highways. On average, ODOT crews collect more than 400,000 bags of trash from along Ohio roadsides each year, costing taxpayers around $4 million annually. ODOT is asking people to simply keep their trash inside their vehicle until they can properly dispose of it. See the PSA on our website. The City of Findlay Green Waste Site will reopen on April 6th. It's located at 330 North Corey Street behind the Public Works Department building with a new entrance this year near the railroad tracks off of North Corey. The Green Waste site is for yard waste disposal and is available to Finley residents at no charge. The site is for residential use only, no contractors. We have the hours listed on our website. More news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm John Marshall, WFIN News. It is American Diabetes Association Alert Day. So take your diabetes seriously. Cuddly Kitten Day today and... It is National Puppy Day. We have to have both. Can't uh, leave out any RP. We have to uh, honor both uh, sides of the pet coin. Cuddly Kitten Day, National Puppy Day. It is National Agriculture Day today, National Chia Day. Chia-chia-chia-chia. National Chip and Dip Day, National Melba Toast Day. And it is World Meteorological Day today. So... Big salute to all of the meteorologists out there. 
So uh, the Colorado Baker, you remember, who won a partial Supreme Court victory back a couple, three years ago for after he refused to make a cake for a gay wedding. He is back in the news again. Now, if you've heard about this, apparently Monday... Uh, He was involved in a trial again after he was sued because he would not make a birthday cake for a transgender woman this time out. Uh, Autumn Scardinia tried to order a cake that was blue on the outside, pink on the inside in honor of her gender transition and apparently tried to place this order on the same day when the Supreme Court said it would hear the appeal brought by Baker Jack Phillips in his gay wedding cake case. Uh, During a virtual trial in Denver yesterday, Scardinia said Phillips has said he was against making the wedding cake because he was a Christian and it involved a religious ceremony, but he said he would sell any other type of product. So she tried to place her order saying it was calling his bluff. An attorney for uh, Mr. Phillips Sean Hayes said his client's refusal to make Scardinia's cake was about its message, not discrimination against her. He said the message would be that he agrees that a gender transition is something to be celebrated. He also said Mr. Phillips had refused to make cakes with other messages he disagreed with, including ones for Halloween. The Supreme Court's ruling in the original case, you recall, said the Colorado Civil Rights Commission showed anti-religious bias when it sanctioned Mr. Phillips for refusing to make the gay wedding cake by the high court, did not rule on the larger issue of whether businesses can cite religious objections to refuse service to gay people. Just in this case, they had done it wrong. So there's a lot of uh, legal wrangling to be had, but the long and short of the story is that the the baker in Colorado that made headlines uh, back a couple, three years ago for that brouhaha over the gay wedding cake, is back in the news again. So you'll likely hear more about that. What else is going on in the news? Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to start your Tuesday morning. Uh, The uh, U.S. Postal Service going to raise rates and cut services. That sounds like a winning combination, doesn't it? We're going to cut services and charge you more. The Washington Post reports that the Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, will announce today uh, longer first-class delivery windows, uh, so they're going to take longer to get your mail to you, along with reduced post office hours and higher postage rates. Uh, They say the biggest rollback of consumer mail services in a generation is part of the 10-year plan for the Postal Service Uh, which will emphasize the need for austerity to ensure more consistent delivery and more consistent delivery, if not quicker, more consistent delivery, and also to get control of billions of dollars in financial losses. So get ready for that. Uh, What else is uh, going on here? Oh, here is the uh, latest COVID-19 story. Apparently, this is... New research shows that COVID-19 may cause hearing loss and other auditory issues. You remember not all that long ago, they were talking about how uh, it affected your sense of taste. Was it taste and smell? 
And now, uh, perhaps hearing loss, data from 24 studies was analyzed. Researchers from two different organizations found that up to 7.6% of COVID-19 patients suffered from hearing loss. 14% complained of tinnitus, or tinnitus, however you pronounce it, which is a ringing in the ears. And 7.2% reported vertigo. One researcher says, Though caution needs to be taken, we hope this study will add to the weight of scientific evidence that there is a strong association between COVID-19 and hearing problems. So here again, this is another story. I saw this and I thought, you know, there's all these concerns about, you know, do we or do we not know what the long-term impact of or side effects of the vaccine are? We're starting to learn more and more about the long-term impact of COVID-19. So here again... If you're nervous about the vaccine, you have to weigh the risks of a vaccine versus the risks, the long-term risks of what the actual disease may cause. So, by the way, speaking of the uh, coronavirus, Dr. Anthony Fauci's story is about to be turned into an illustrated children's book. Now, that's a bedtime story you'll definitely want to read to your kids. Simon & Schuster is publishing Dr. Fauci, How a Boy from Brooklyn Became America's Doctor. Uh, It doesn't say when that book will be out, but kids everywhere are looking forward to that bedtime story. A couple of other uh, items here among the first things you need to know. Uh, As a result of the pandemic, this is kind of interesting, Uh, People are not getting as angry with machines anymore as they used to. Researchers at the University of Southern California found that people impacted by COVID-19 displayed more altruism toward both other people and to machines. Certainly not uncommon to see people get angry with machines. Dog on computers. But the pandemic seems to have changed that at least a little. Uh, participants were increasingly as, as participants yeah, as participants were increasingly distracted distracted with coronavirus concerns. They became more compassionate toward machines, probably because we needed machines to just survive during the lockdown and all of that. The uh, senior author of the study, Jonathan Gratch says, quote, our findings show that as people interacted more via machines during the past year, Perceptions about the value of technology increased, which led to a more favorable response to machines, unquote. The findings are consistent with previous research that shows disasters often bring out compassion in people uh, just overall. And that extends not just to people, but to machines as well, apparently. Uh, So I just thought that was kind of interesting. We're <laughs> we always hate our computers and our phones and all of our gadgets. Sometimes it's a love-hate relationship. Well, because of the pandemic, it's more love than hate, apparently. And uh, again, speaking of the effects of the pandemic, who would have guessed this? And I'll leave you with this to kind of chew on this morning as we get into the meat of the program here. The outlook for summer? Lockdowns could potentially end in many places. And the uh, Sexual Health Hub is predicting this will be the summer of sexually transmitted infections. (laughs) Experts are particularly concerned 
about a potent strain of gonorrhea, which is already the most common STI in the UK. The World Health Organization warns that the antibiotic usually used to treat the condition has actually built up resistance to the infection. And so uh, it is a superbug, or it uh, soon could be untreatable, as the use of antibiotics during the pandemic continues to fuel, fuel its uh, mutation. <laughs> the British Association for Sexual Health says the reduced number of people coming in for STI testing in lockdown means 2020 numbers will likely show reported infection rates have fallen, but they will skyrocket this year, they fear. So, well, isn't that cheery? This could be the summer of the STI. That's what we want to hear. <laughs> That's some good news. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to start off your Tuesday morning. So after the shot, then what? Americans have been dealing with the disruptions of COVID-19 for over a year now, but with more people getting vaccinated, the end may be in sight. The question now is, what is it going to take for life to feel more like normal, and when might that happen? Dr. Preeti Malani is Chief Health Officer and Professor of Medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Michigan with us this morning. And Dr. Malani, what is your view of the state of the pandemic as it stands right now today? Where are we? Yeah, we're, we're a full year into the U.S. pandemic, and we've learned a lot in terms of how to prevent transmission and safely get back to essential activities. And, you know, it's wonderful news to see the vaccines rolling out. I'm very optimistic about where the pandemic is headed, but the risk of COVID isn't gone. And in fact, cases in many places are increasing with concerns that variants like B117 may be contributing to uh, large outbreaks. So although we're making progress, we all need to hang in there for a few more months, keep wearing those masks in public, maintaining distance, avoiding big crowds, and instead gathering in small numbers outdoors. And most importantly, when it's your turn to please get vaccinated. So uh, a lot of folks will hear you say that and, and ask, why do I need to bother to get the vaccine if I still have to take all of these extra precautions? Is the vaccine really the key uh, in, in terms of the turning point and changing the course of the pandemic, or isn't it? Yeah, this is a good question, and it's a fair question. And although masks and distancing can be used to keep cases down for now and really for short term, ultimately vaccination is what's going to help get us back to something that feels more like normal and one of the important things is that vaccination isn't just about protecting the person getting vaccinated, but about protecting everyone else. And, you know, it's a, it's a remarkable feat that a year into this, we have three highly effective safe vaccines available under emergency use authorization in the United States and really great results coming forth from AstraZeneca. So there'll likely be more vaccines. And we know that all the vaccines do prevent severe infection and death. Uh, and in terms of really get like what's in it for me, mm-hmm. we're finding is that people who are vaccinated can gather in uh, indoors with others who are vaccinated. So what is the, the key? What is it going to take? We'll go back to that uh, big question. What is it going to take for life to feel more normal? And when do you think that may happen? Again, because by this time, just about everyone in the most vulnerable, vulnerable groups has gotten the vaccine. Isn't that enough to resume our normal lives? Yeah, you know, it's a it's an important step. And again, for people who've been vaccinated, there are things that they can resume doing immediately, at least in their personal 
social lives, like within their homes, whether it's visiting uh, friends and family who are also vaccinated or their grandkids, for example, which I know people are waiting to do. But in public, you're right. It doesn't look that different. So what's it going to take to get back to normal? You know, when we began the pandemic, it was really about a switch. The lights got turned off, the door got shut. Mm. Getting back has been much more of a dial. It moves up, it moves down. And as more and more people get vaccinated, this should help us get to that next phase of the pandemic. And for me, I'm really hopeful that this summer and fall are going to look much more like normal. Maybe you know, we'll see the mud hens, things like that. You know, like yeah. All the things that we're longing to do. Uh, but overall, 2021 is going to look much more like 2019 than 2020. But remember, it's going to be like a dial. It won't be the kind of switch that we saw last year. Now, uh, obviously, people are very anxious to get back to normal. You see it in the number of people traveling. The spring break crowds in Miami Beach that we were talking about yesterday travel the number one thing that most people say they are looking forward to resuming. So after getting vaccinated, is that something that we can do? Uh, you know, this is, uh, this is an important consideration. And what I would say is um, I include visiting with family essential travel. There, that's a different thing than just traveling for, for your own uh, vacation or luxury or certainly to, to go and, uh, you know, party on Miami Beach. I, that, that isn't stuff that we really should be doing at this point or even thinking about yet. But with vaccination, we should feel good about getting back to the, the people and things that we love to do. Uh, and that includes going to visit particularly friends and family that you've been missing. But again, it's a stepwise process. As more and more people get vaccinated, those rates in the community should come down and we'll be able to decrease all the things that we're doing and really dial back on mitigation overall. And hopefully we will be able to gather you know, on Miami Beach maybe next year, for example. I know I keep asking about specific examples, and as you're saying, uh, a lot of this, a lot of the answer is it depends, or it's, as you said, it's kind of a dial that will move up and, and move down, but are there some other things that people can start thinking, specific things that people can start thinking about doing again that they wouldn't or shouldn't have done before? Yeah, this is really important because one of the things I say a lot is that COVID is not the only risk to our health. I, you know, I'm very worried about loneliness and social isolation. And mm -hmm. really for all of us, it, it, the pandemic means learning to live alongside the pandemic and not living at the extremes, but striking a balance. And a lot of it is when you're out and about with people that you don't know, or you're mixing in a crowd, put on a mask. It'll help save lives. It'll help protect others. It shows respect and love for other people around you. Uh, but in your personal life, as more and more people get vaccinated, you can get together safely. And particularly as the weather gets better, you can get together outside. And I think finding ways to make those connections socially is really, really important. Because it's going to be a little while before we're completely past this and uh, really post-pandemic. Yeah. And, and that was actually uh, one of the other questions. I wanted. Is there a litmus test? Is there how can we be sure that we are making the right decisions at the right time about our health, about the health of our loved ones uh, during this phase of the pandemic? I mean, is there a, a threshold with a vaccination percentage when X percentage of the population gets vaccinated? Then we can be pretty confident that we've got this beat. You know, that's a good question. And people talk a lot about 70% as being this, this threshold for herd immunity where you shouldn't really see much transmission. And we're already seeing 
particularly like in nursing homes, for example, where the vaccination rates are close to 100% among the residents, that the rates have come down a lot. In the healthcare facilities, the rates have come down and in other countries, particularly in Israel. So, you know, I am hopeful that we're going to see this, but it isn't going to be, it, it's going to be a dial and, and numbers should improve between now and then. And I think the more we can do, the safer we'll all be. Because one of the concerns is that if, if we have a lot of uncontrolled spread while we're vaccinating people, is that variant like the B117 and others could really take off and derail some of these efforts. But, you know, again, I'm really, really hopeful that we're going to have good uptake of vaccines. And we have had good uptake. But if people are hesitant or they have questions, you know, go and get good information. You know, I would always say, talk to your doctor, talk to trusted sources, and really think about the reasons that you might be hesitant. And, you know, we've now had more than 80 million people vaccinated in this country with minimal side effects. So that is a really good news story. And there's more and more vaccine coming. So hopefully the coming weeks will be uh, big ones for uh, for vaccination and really getting seeing those caseloads come down. So what I hear you saying is uh, continue to, to mask up, follow all of those safety protocols, get the vaccine when you can. Uh, you're kind of, we have the, the yellow light, not the green light to resume everything by uh, like normal, but like we were saying a little bit uh, a few days ago, we've got the yellow light to proceed with caution at this point. Um, Doc, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yellow light, proceed with caution, and also find ways to get together and connect socially. And, you know, if it means wearing a mask and being outside, that's still better than being locked up in your home. No question. Because this is too important. Indeed. I don't mean to cut you off, uh, but we're running short on time. Again, uh, Dr. Preeti Malani, Chief Health Officer, Professor of Medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Michigan with us. Dr. Malani, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, as parents, we want to protect our children and keep them safe, both in the literal and figurative sense. For our parents, it was fairly easy to protect us from all of the nastiness of the news. All they had to do was turn off the TV. But today, all of the bad things that happen in the world are blasted across dozens of news channels and social media sites in real time. And a recent survey from Safety.com revealed that 77% of parents of children under the age of 18 claim that there is at least one event in the past year that impacted their children's sense of safety. Uh, Jamie Greenberger of Safety.com is with us this morning. And Jamie, the obvious one, of course, is the coronavirus and all the scary stories surrounding that. But there are lots of other examples, and it is easy to see how unnerved young children can be when they hear about the scary stuff happening in the world around them and especially they really don't have the ability to put that into context yes absolutely i mean everything that has happened over the past year that's made adults feel more stress and fear and anxiety is the same events that are impacting children the same way and you point out that children tend to internalize those fears, meaning that it's not always obvious the impact this may be having on them. Because I can hear a lot of parents say, oh, my kids are, are perfectly well adjusted and this really hasn't affected them. But it may not be real easy to tell outwardly that they just how impacted they have been. Yeah, absolutely. We're always checking in with each other as adults of how 
the news of the world is affecting us. But I feel like we don't often have those conversations with kids because you feel they're too young to understand or we're trying to shelter them from the scariness of the world. But in reality, they are understanding it and they are feeling the impact. So we have to talk about it to understand their feelings and then move forward from there. So how do we start that dialogue to find out if something that they have seen or heard about is bothering them, what those fears are and how to address them? I think it's really as simple as just starting that conversation about every single topic. So if you notice that something in the news is impacting you as a parent, it's likely that your child is experiencing the same thing. So just checking in with your kid if it's every day or every week of what they have been seeing in the news or hearing from their friends on social media, wherever they're getting their content, just asking them how they think about it, what they feel, and then moving on from there. So finding once you know if they experience fear from it or they're fearing um, whatever is happening in the world, you can address it by sharing how you deal with that in that event and how it's impacting you. And once your kid knows that you can relate to them, it's easier to have that open conversation and open line of communication to know that they can come to you when they're feeling that way. You know, I've heard some psychologists say that we should never tell our kids that we will always be there to protect them because the fact of the matter is that we don't know that for sure. Uh, do you right. ascribe to that uh, to that theory? How do we address those fears if we can't simply tell them that we will be there to protect them? Well, obviously, I'm not a psychologist, so I definitely can't speak on to that yeah. subject particularly. But I mean, I think having that open line of communication and being honest with them that, hey, I might not always be here, but I'm going to provide you the tools necessary so that you can face these events and face these feelings on your own in the future. So, so when we are here, we do have that ability to give them those tools. So the, so the key is not uh, telling them that everything is going to be okay, kind of pat them on the, on the head and say everything is fine, there's nothing to worry about. Uh, again, because the reality is we don't know that. And, and kids are smart enough to pick up uh, right. on the fact that they're being kind of uh, dismissed or talked down to of course yeah i mean we have to be honest about what is happening in the world kids know what's going on they're aware of it they're getting it from social media they're getting it from the news tv everywhere honestly and it it doesn't do anybody justice to say oh it's fine it's going to go away yeah so we have to be honest and we can only move forward by starting with that honesty. You also point out that even if we very closely monitor the news that our kids consume, whether it's uh, from the TV, the internet, uh, the radio, whatever it might happen to be, they are very likely to have heard about the things that we're trying to protect them from, from their friends, which can be even more of a challenge because it's coming from someone who also can't put it into context. Absolutely. Yeah. 40% of parents said that their kids were uh, receiving that content through their friends or peers. So of course you can't stop your kids from talking to their friends. It's going to happen naturally. But again, it all comes down to that communication factor where if they're at school or they're just hanging out with their friends and they come across like a news story or they're just talking in conversation about something that makes them feel uncomfortable or fearful, they should know that they can come home and have that open line of communication with their parents to say, Hey, I came across this content and news story with my friends. 
I'm scared now. Like, what can we do about it? So does that mean that that trying to shield them and, and protect them from all of this ugliness is kind of a moot point? I mean, do we even want to? I mean, what are the risks of trying to keep them in that bubble? Yeah, I definitely don't think that sheltering kids is the answer. Um, that can create more fear later on, as I'm sure plenty of psychological studies have shown. Right. Um, but of course, when they're, the kids are so young, it depends on their age, what they're capable of digesting and handling as a child still. So it really is up to parents to use that knowledge and their best stage of their children to know whether it's okay to have that conversation or also use some parental controls and limiting what they're seeing on social media and the internet. I mean, of course, we see graphic content all the time. We're not going to really understand how that's impacting our kids depending on their age until they see it. Mm -hmm. So it really is up to the parents to say, hey, do I let my kids see everything in the world or can I use some parental controls to protect them from some things while still having that open line of communication about what really is happening? Yeah, that world. that really brings up the uh, age-old question that parents in this generation uh, <laughs> really have to deal with, and that is when do we give our kids access to the world around them in the form of the internet how you know when and how much and you also point out that it's important to have some conversations before turning them loose on the internet about this is what's out there this is you know not only not only the ground rules but talking about what they are likely to encounter when they uh, do get onto the internet Absolutely. They should never be blindsided by what you're going to find on the internet or even on the news and social media. I think having that open line of communication, it really does all come down to communication. Once you are like prepping your child to know, hey, this is what you could experience when you go onto the internet, and then to have them know they can come to you when they do stumble upon that or certain things that they shouldn't be being on the internet, that's really not for them. So whenever they do stumble upon it, they know to either immediately come to you or immediately get off of that site. Yeah, um, It's not always about using those really hardcore boundaries on devices, but also setting them through communication so that you can agree with your child so that you're not kind of overstepping. And of course, uh, it leads to the big question that, that parents always ask. So at what age, at what point do we start to kind of let them out of that bubble? How do we know when they are ready to expand their understanding of the world around them? Because it would be easy if it was just a set age when they turn X years old, kind of like getting your driver's license. When you turn X years old, you're ready to get your license. It doesn't work that way with the internet. A lot of it is is dependent on development and you know that kind of thing, their ability to process this. Uh, are, are there... Are there some clues? How do we know when they are ready to expand their universe in that way, even when some of what they might encounter is unpleasant? I think it really comes down to personal preference within families. I don't think there is that specific answer for to apply to all children. Mm-hmm. Every single child is different. They're at a different developmental stage. And you also have to take into consideration that children now, especially during coronavirus, are using the internet to go to school. Sure. So they need certain abilities and they need all that access, but it's just about coming down to if this is impacting your child's sense of safety, then maybe like bring in the reins a little bit. 
Again, we mentioned that uh, survey, 77% of uh, parents of children under the age of 18 say that there's at least one event of the past year that has impacted their children's sense of safety. So, uh, and, and as you accurately point out, virtually all kids are online now, with online learning. And so at some point they have... Uh, to some degree, they have this exposure, uh, so it is time to have these conversations. Jamie Greenberger of Safety.com is with us this morning, and you have a lot more resources uh, on your website that can help parents with all of this, right? Yes, we have a ton. We have guides to internet safety, digital safety, personal safety, everything that you could think of is definitely on our site. When we're talking about the impact of the coronavirus on so many aspects of our lives. After the initial disruption triggered by COVID-19 in the food industry, you kind of wonder, will there be a lasting impact to the way your local grocery store operates moving forward? USDA contributor Gary Crawford has that story in today's Everyday Agriculture Report. Early February of 2020. Ah, things were different then. Two cheeseburgers, large fries, small coat. Americans were spending over half, 53% to be exact, of their food dollars for food away from home. 47% for food bought at grocery stores for consumption at home. That away from home percentage had been slowly, steadily growing for years. So it was 53% February of 2020, but then came COVID. And by April 2020, consumers were spending only 34% of their food dollars for away from home eating. A huge drop in an incredibly short period of time. And Andy Harrig with the Food Marketing Institute says that percentage change represents about an additional $23 billion of spending directed toward grocery stores and supermarkets and convenience stores in, in a really short period of time. And that caused a lot of problems for grocery stores, which were just overwhelmed by not only higher volumes of shoppers, so bigger numbers, bigger crowds, but also much bigger per trip spends. So that was obviously a challenge. One challenge, as most of us shoppers experienced, was the stores trying to fill empty shelves at times for many products. It wasn't possible just to take food made and packaged for the restaurant industry and then bring it to grocery stores. Food service deals with different cuts of meat, for example, different size and kinds of packaging. Um, You know, in food service, you often have 100-pound bags of potatoes. You know, at food retail... If you have a 100-pound bag of potatoes, um, your whole staff is going to be on disability shortly from hauling those around. So we simply don't operate with that level of bulk. Uh, But you also have different labeling that has to be in place as well. So it took several months for the food system to retool and readjust to the new surge in demand at supermarkets. Harrick says, yes, stores were doing a lot more business, but their operating costs skyrocketed because of costs for new signage and personal protective equipment for employees and that sort of thing. Now, here's one change that many food stores made I found really interesting. Traditionally, stores uh, did their cleaning and sanitizing and mopping and whatnot when there were very few customers or no customers in the store. You don't want customers customers coming in and smelling bleach or other kinds of disinfectants, right? You want them coming in and smelling the rotisserie chickens, the bread being baked, and and, and those kind of things that really um, entice people to eat. However, Andy says... The COVID pandemic really turned that on its head, and all of a sudden what we saw is consumers found those sanitation smells really reassuring. They felt like that meant stores were really doing good. So lots of operators started to change their cleaning schedules to make sure that it was at high traffic periods of time to make sure that people saw this and they could feel that sense of comfort from it, which was really kind of unexpected. 
Okay, so now that the restaurants are starting to gear up again, Andy Herrick says the question is, will these new food buying and selling and consumption patterns continue, or will there be a big rush back to the way things were pre-COVID? We're still trying to figure it out. may take a while, too. Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. So the long and short of it is too soon to tell. That is really the big question. People uh, dining at home so much more often during the pandemic. Will that continue uh, once things get quote-unquote, back to normal. I guess we shall see. Kind of interesting, too, uh, one of the other things we talked about are the number of uh, grocery stores uh, and so on, especially the uh, big box stores uh, that used to be open 24 hours a day Still have not gone back to that, and you wonder if that will happen uh, moving forward as well, or is that another permanent change? We've talked about that before. So still a lot to pick apart and figure out exactly how much this has impacted us for good and how much of it has just been short-term. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. And now today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news, brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. A lot of uh, interesting stuff out of the state of Tennessee this morning. A Tennessee woman accused of biting a Bedford County deputy after arguing with her girlfriend after uh, over chicken nuggets. Let me repeat that. A Tennessee woman accused of biting a Bedford County deputy after arguing with her girlfriend over chicken nuggets. Authorities called to the scene of a domestic dispute last week and arrested 23-year-old Lillian Barnett for allegedly assaulting the other woman. Barnett, in the uh, process of being arrested, bit the deputy as he was escorting her to her jail cell. Uh, She had uh, previously said that she is positive for hepatitis C. Oh, well, that's nice. That's always pleasant. She's facing uh, numerous charges, including aggravated assault on a police officer (laughs) of domestic... Domestic violence wasn't enough. Let's throw in assault on a police officer. That sounds like a fun. That sounds like a good idea. Also from the uh, state of Tennessee, a woman is accused of dragging her boyfriend with her car before shooting him in the face. Memphis police say Julian Saunders was arguing with the victim when he reached into her car to grab her or grab something, and she rolled up the window trapping his arm as she drove off. Uh, He was reportedly trying to run to keep up with the car when Ms. Saunders shot him in the jaw. She later called 911 to report the incident. Well, at least she did that. Uh, She has been charged with attempted murder in the case. Um, I I guess he is going to recover from what I understand, but I'm guessing he's looking for a new girlfriend. You know? (laughs) I can't, I can't imagine, I can't imagine uh, why there might have been an argument going on in that relationship. It seems such, seems like such a stable couple. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Uh, Here's another chicken nugget story in the uh, broken news. Or more specifically, a fast food story. The Lady Lake Police Department in Florida... Uh, arrested Brandy Stanley, age 31, last week after responding to a call from a McDonald's restaurant on U.S. Highway 441 on Monday. They got a call about a drunk woman who was driving all over the drive-thru. <laughs> hey, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane in the drive-thru. You gonna... 
So she was driving all over the, the place. The officer found Ms. Stanley idling her vehicle. She showed signs of being inebriated when officers ordered her out of her vehicle for a sobriety test. She initially re- uh, refused. So they transport her, transported her to jail. Uh, she did not cooperate, uh, not surprisingly. And a deputy found an eight-pack of miniature bottles of Deep Eddie vodka under her bra. <laughs> That's a good hiding place right there. One of them was missing. So now we know what she had been enjoying. <laughs> she faces multiple charges. I just thought it was funny, the uh, call. Uh, she's all over the drive through She's just all over the drive through uh, let's see here. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news from merry old England, a British university lecturer uh, will receive a $20,000 payout for an unfair dismissal linked to his use of question marks. Dr. Benoit Sobnak was fired by Lobro University last year after Someone complained that he used too many question marks in his messages. <laughs> he used too many question marks in his, like his email messages and his uh, memos and such. Too many question marks was the violation. They said it was uh, creating an intimidating tone. Those messages, while he was a residence hall warden, included him asking things with eight to ten question marks at the end of sentences. However, an employment tribunal found that the complaints were unproven and never fully investigated. The uh, planned payout was supposed to be much higher. It was reduced to $20,000 because a judge said his brusque, blunt, and unnecessarily aggressive behavior contributed to the situation. So I guess let that be a lesson to you. Don't use so many question marks. Your email messages. Who knew? And finally, in the broken news, this is a crazy story. Um, And I'm not sure. It looks like this is out of uh, Great Britain as well. A report in uh, Britain's Sun newspaper uh, reports that Andal Kindle bought a GPS device to attach to his cat's collar because the cat had a bad habit of getting out of the house and wandering off, so he bought this $180 GPS device so he could track his pet. Uh, it reportedly worked well until one day the cat returned home and it was missing its GPS uh, device. Mr. Kindle was surprised to see the tracker, though, quickly moving around town when he checked his app. He said he followed the GPS signal to a neighbor's house and could see the signal crossing the road, but there was nothing on the road in front of him. Uh, He also realized that the app was picking up a weak signal, so it was likely coming from underground. After doing a little investigation, he realized that his cat likely got into a scuffle with a rat, and the rat probably ate the GPS tracker, and it was then following... Uh, local drainage routes around town. He says he assumes the uh, tracker is inside the rat, and at one point it'll probably, you know, exit his system, but he doesn't necessarily want it back. Well, how crazy is that? 
dragging the rat through the sewer system. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. Uh, this update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. How much did the pandemic impact your waistline? A new study um, uh, examined uh, a sampling of uh, weight measurements from Bluetooth-connected smart scales Uh, Dr. Gregory Marcus, a cardiologist and professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, did this study, and he finds that uh, people gained more than a half a pound every 10 days on average, which works out to about two pounds a month, and if that is averaged out over the past, uh, over the course of a year, say if people kept up their same lockdown habits through the uh, entire year, That could have easily been 20 pounds for the entire year. 20 pounds we gained over the past year being locked down. Now, he does say that it was a very small sampling, only about 300 people, but many of the participants were actually losing weight prior to the lockdown. So that means two things. Number one, no one was immune from this. Even those who were trending in the right direction saw their weight loss Uh, regimen upended by the pandemic and number two those who were losing weight to begin with probably lost less than what the broader population did as a whole so he says the results could be just the tip of the iceberg oh there's something cheery to think about Well, it's getting to be about that time to start your spring cleaning. And when was the last time your beauty cabinet got a refresh? Uh, A couple of reasons why this is important. Number one, obviously your beauty routine is going to be a little bit different in the spring and summer than it would be in the fall and winter. Number two, a lot of these things do have uh, expiration dates, have a useful uh, shelf life. And joining us this morning is lifestyle and beauty expert Millie Almodovar. Uh, with some uh, advice for a refresh uh, for both those reasons. Millie, thanks for uh, taking the time this morning. What steps should we be taking in terms of uh, cleaning out our beauty cabinets? Well, the turning over of a season is the time to say out with the old and in with the new. It's the perfect time to make space in your beauty cabinet. And I have two important tips for getting the process started. First, you got to check expiration dates on product containers. Expired products could be less effective and shouldn't be used. Now, as a good rule of thumb, if a product has been opened longer than 12 months, it's likely time to toss it. Now that we've made the room, consider what you need going into a new season. Consider all things from skincare to hair to personal care. From here, you'll be able to have a clear vision it is of what you need with a new found space to fit it. 
you make such a good point, uh, that 12-month rule of thumb. I mean, sometimes it's easy to know when it's time to toss something. You're, you know, the mascara gets all clumpy or the face wipes get dry. Obviously, they're no longer any good, but other times uh, it may be less obvious. So you use that rule of thumb and you should be good to go. So uh, where do we begin uh, with those uh, new products to replace what we are tossing? Well, the weather will be warmer, warming up and we'll be spending more time outdoors. So it's likely time for a new moisturizer. The Ole Regenerous with SPF 25 face moisturizer is a lightweight moisturizer with added sun protection, making it so simple to incorporate SPF into your daily routine. Now, unlike other moisturizers with SPF, Ole leaves a matte finish. You don't have to worry about your skin having a greasy look or feel. It's perfect for all skin types and tones because it goes on quickly and it stays on clear. So you also don't have to worry about having a white cast on the skin. You can find this at local retailers and online at Olay.com. All right. Uh, We've got the skin uh, covered. That is uh, first things first. What about uh, our smiles? It says here you've got something to take care of that. Get a good, nice, bright smile for the uh, spring and summer season. Yes. So spring is all about resetting and making easy and convenient upgrades to our routine. So it's the perfect time to brighten our smile. New Crest Whitening Emulsions is the brand's first ever leave-on teeth whitening treatment, and it's so easy to incorporate into your everyday beauty and grooming routine. This breakthrough nano-safe formula has highly active hydrogen peroxide droplets that work instantly, and they continue whitening teeth long after you apply. You can swipe on in seconds and go about your day, no rinsing or brushing needed. Now, for noticeably whiter teeth, continue to apply for 14 treatments with virtually no sensitivity. You can find this you can find this at uh, at Meyer. Okay, uh, and that's I'm thinking that is perfect timing too because hopefully within the next couple of months or, or so we'll be able to take off those masks and everybody will be see uh, be able to see those nice uh, bright clean white smiles. So good stuff and and good timing there. Anything else? Any other tips uh, heading into the warm weather season? I'm telling everyone that they definitely have to pick up a dry brush. Dry brushes are great because they exfoliate the skin. They allow your lotion to penetrate much more effectively and they boost circulation to the skin. Now you're going to pick the dry brush up and you're going to, in upward motion, just brush your skin. And you will find that after using it, and you're going to use it right before you shower, your skin is going to be the softest it's ever been. You can find it at local retailers. All right. So uh, lifestyle and beauty expert Millie Almodovar with uh, what you need this morning uh, for an updated look as we head into the warmer weather. We're getting a little spring fever now. So, Millie, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And that'll put a wraps on our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, of course. That is goodmornings.net. Check us out online. Be sure to join us tomorrow when best-selling author Lisa Wingate will preview her upcoming virtual appearance as part of the Findlay Hancock County Public Library's Community Read event to discuss the books Before We Were Yours and the Book of Lost Friends. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.